Welcome back to Crime Pros. This week, we are talking about a group of people who is um, heavily, like disproportionately abused when it comes to true crime stories and all crimes in general, especially in the US. And we're going to be talking about crimes against women and particularly one killer who targeted young women uh, just a few decades ago. So to chat with us, um, I needed a woman to be an expert on all things womanly. And so I want to introduce you to my good friend, Nettie. Hi, Nettie. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm great. It's early, but I'm great. (laughs) Yeah, we do these things early now. Um, Well, Nettie, you are a lady and um, also... The story that we're telling today in particular is about someone who targeted like women in college. And so really at the beginning of their adult lives, and that was you not too long ago. Um, So what's it like to live in a world where like young women are so easily targeted? It's scary, honestly. I feel like I was thinking about this the other day, like we as women have to be so on guard all the time. There can't be a single second where we kind of let it down because that's when um, we get taken advantage of. Um, So, yeah, it's difficult at times. But honestly, I love being a woman. I love being around other women and empowering other women. Um, But, yeah, Yeah. it can be (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And that's why we want to tell stories like this, not to scare anyone, but to remind everyone, but especially young women, that there are bad people out there and we just kind of have to stay on high alert. So they could be they could look like the nicest people, but you never know. (laughs) Absolutely. And that's actually a very interesting call out from part of our story today. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So without further ado, let's get into the story of the co-ed killer. Edmund Kemper III was born on December 18, 1948 in Burbank, California, not too far from us. Um, His mother, Clarnell, was problematic, to say the least. See, uh, Clarnell was pretty unhappy in general, um, especially with Edmund's father. He was a war veteran and um, in the military, he had been trained to test like nuclear weapons and things like that. So when he came back, he became an electrician, which was like kind of a, a medium paying job and Clarnell had higher expectations. And so she was pretty unhappy with that and became abusive toward Edmund's father and towards Edmund from a really early age. And she would berate him for the smallest little misbehaviors um, and even lock him in a dark basement almost every night. Like Harry Potter. <laughs> Literally, yeah. Like, oh my gosh, that's so perfect. I'm gonna picture Aunt Petunia now. Um, so also, Clarnell was an alcoholic and was known to humiliate and abuse her children, especially when she drank. And as her life went on, um, she started drinking more and more. So she was becoming more and more abusive every year. And as Edmund grew up, she refused to show him any affection because she was worried that it would turn him gay, which, sorry, girl. (laughs) 
this I guess this was the 40s. Um, anyway, so Edmund also, so he was abused, but also he was massive. I read one source that said that he weighed over 13 pounds when he was born. Um, yeah, talk about a big baby. And he was so tall, especially from his toddler years. I read something that said that he ever as soon as he got into school and every year after that, he was at least a head taller than every other kid in his class. Like, absolutely massive. And this, like, tall factor coupled with the abuse of his mother may have contributed to some of the struggles he went through, including antisocial behavior as a child, which I don't know how much you know about serial killers and psychopaths, but antisocial behavior is one of the markers of a child who could grow up to be one. So today, this would be something that we would call a red flag. And all of this was made worse when his parents divorced while he was very young and he ended up living with his mother and she moved to Montana with her children. So by the age of 10, Edmund's dark behavior and horrible fantasies were out of hand and he began torturing, killing, and dismembering animals, including his family pets. This started at 10 years old. 10 years old. And he tortured all kinds of animals, but especially his family had like a few cats and he would go after cats, um, especially like his sister's favorites, which is dark. And also, you know, my soft spot for cats. Um, yeah. Nettie gave me a cat. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Yeah, I know sometimes in these recordings, her meow sneak in. And so the people listening may know, may know Emily the cat. Um, anyway, back to the story. So he also started abusing his sister's dolls, chopping off their hair, which that by itself is kind of like, yeah, brothers do that to their sisters, yeah. you know? But also he would play make-believe games with these dolls, like gas chamber and electric chair. Oh my goodness. Oh, man. So at 14, Edmund ran away from his abusive mother to find his father in California, which a 14 year old getting from Montana to California. Okay. But his dad had started a new family. And so they reconciled when Edmund got to him. But then the father, you know, he had a new child and a new wife. And he sent Edmund away to live with the father's parents. So Edmund's grandparents in North Fork, California. And Edmund hated this phase of his life and claims that his grandmother was incredibly abusive toward both him and his grandfather and that it reminded him of his mother, which is interesting because, you know, they always say like you marry like your yeah. parents. So it's interesting that Edmund's father, Edmund II, would have married an abusive woman if his mother was also abusive. So after moving in, um, Edmund got into a fight with his grandmother, Maud, about a year into living with his grandparents. And during their fight, he went and found his grandfather's hunting rifle, which his grandfather had actually taken away from him because he was using it to kill animals. And he brought it back to where his grandmother was in the kitchen. Oh and no, I don't like how this is, oh man. Oh no. <laughs> there, Edmund fatally shot his grandmother in the head. His first murder at the age of 15. 
15 years old. And wow. short, shortly after this, his grandfather, Edmund I, returned home from grocery shopping and Edmund shot him even before he could make it into the house while he was still outside. This was his only male victim ever, um, but he said that he shot his grandfather because he didn't want to have to deal with him finding his grandmother. With both of his grandparents dead, Edmund called his mom and she told him to call the police. Edmund was arrested and quickly diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. Now, psychologist reasons that his actions were maybe a way for him to avenge the rejection of both his mother, who was abusive, and his father, who literally sent him away, but especially his mother. And they identified that his relationship with his mom had created this unhealthy image of women in his head. And so the fact that his grandmother was also abusive just magnified that unhealthy image. So he was sentenced to a term in a mental state hospital as a minor at the age of 15. Now, it didn't take long before the hospital staff disagreed with Edmund's original diagnosis and overturned it, but they also noticed he had an extremely high IQ, and they put him to work in the hospital administering psychiatric tests for other inmates. Um, and he, he even developed, while he was there, as a child, he was developing new psychiatric tests, and he later said that administering these tests for other inmates helped him with his later crimes because he learned how to cover up crimes. He learned how other people abuse women. Um, and so he was so smart that he was convincing doctors that this was helping him to rehabilitate from his, his past. But in reality, he was learning. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. But... He was a model inmate, so in 1969, on his 21st birthday, Edmund was released from the mental hospital. And he moved in with his mother, who had moved back to California at this point, so he was back where he wanted to be. Um, and he even enrolled in community college with ambitions of becoming a police officer. But now 21, Edmund had finished growing and measured six feet, nine inches. A oh, giant. No. Giant. Oh and at this time, there was a height limit for police officers. So Edmund actually was disqualified from being a police officer in his local area, but he maintained friendly relationships with other local officers and he would often like visit them at the station or hang out with them at local bars. So he was really chummy with the local police. And I don't know if they knew about his past, but since he was a minor, yeah, yeah. I think since he was a minor, I'm guessing that they didn't, like his records were probably sealed and no one knew yeah. what had happened. But like, I feel like wouldn't she be able to pick up a little bit on his like tendencies, like, I mean, I don't know, but if he worked at that mental, like, hospital, maybe he was able to, like, learn how to, like, cope with, like, yeah. um, what he was going through. But I don't know. I feel like you have to, like, know uh, that he had, like, this disorder or whatever. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you would think it would be, but also that's the other thing is they still, at this point, don't really know 
what his mental conditions are because he was diagnosed with schizophrenia, but then that was overturned. Um, yeah. So they haven't really diagnosed him with also at this point, let's see, he was born in 48 and he's 21. So now it's like, oh, it's 69. We already said that. Um, So it is only 1969, not a ton of psychology. So, so, yeah. Um, So now Edmonds in community college, he starts working for the California Division of Highways, doing odd jobs, physical labor, and saves up some money so that he can move out of his mom's home, and he ends up moving in with some friends. Um, But his mother remained a nuisance in his life. Uh, She would often call him or visit him unexpectedly, and I didn't confirm this, but I'm pretty sure she worked at the college, so she was... She was around, you know. Um, He actually started dating. And in 1973, he got engaged, though his former fiance's identity is unknown. Because after everything that happened that we're going to get into, um, she and her parents worked really hard to conceal her identity. And she broke off the engagement after his arrest. Um, So no one to this day knows who this woman is. Though, although he was engaged at this point, he formed an obsession with women. And he started this hobby of driving around to pick up hitchhiking women. Um, and I read somewhere that there were anywhere from 100 to 150 people that he picked up over the course of a year. Just over because. Over the course of a year. Just that was his hobby because he wanted women in his control. You know, if you're driving them around, you're in control. That's creepy. That makes me think of like Uber drivers are like, I don't know, like, like, wow, that's crazy. So in 1972, this hobby became deadly, which I'll, I'll note we just mentioned that he got engaged in 1973 so i went a little bit out of order there so at this point he's just dating this woman but like just kind of keep in mind that he has a woman in his life as all of this happens so on may 7th 1972 edmund was driving around and he picked up two hitchhikers Marianne pesky and anita lucessa the pair were college students traveling from berkeley to stanford by hitchhiking and, you know, they, they just needed a ride. Edmund picked them up. He's like, yeah, I, I can take you to Stanford. Um, so on this journey, Edmund took a detour through some secluded woods that he was familiar with as he knew the, de- the highway detours because he worked for the Division of Highways. Um, and these woods were in Alameda, California. Here, he stopped the car and revealed to the girls that he had a number of plastic bags and knives stored in his vehicle. Oh my goodness. This is just all bad. It's bad. (laughs) So at knife point, he locks Anita in the trunk of his car and handcuffs Marianne to a tree. And after this, he stabs Marianne multiple times, killing her. Now during this assault, Ed, by Edmund's own account, he accidentally brushed the back of his hand against one of Marianne's breasts and was so embarrassed. He stopped what he was doing. He apologized for touching her and then went back to murdering her. 
just showing this unhealthy vision of women that he has in his head. He he isn't able to comprehend that murdering someone is worse than accidentally rubbing your hand against them. Yeah. So after this, he then kills Anita in a very similar way and put both of the women's body in the trunk of his car. Edmund took the bodies home and there he raped, photographed, and dismembered the corpses. He put their body parts in plastic bags and left them in a rural area, but they weren't discovered until August of that same year, three months later. Oh my goodness. So we won't get into the graphic details of all of Edmund's murders, but his murder spree lasted over the course of the next nine months after these first two. He ended up killing four more women ages 15 to 23. His MO was always the same. Pick up a hitchhiker, seclude her, kill her, and rape her either before or after the murder. And during this time, local police became worried as all of these women young women some were even just 15 that's a that's a child so all of these young women are going missing and the police are like oh we have a serial killer on the loose and so they started advising women especially the local college students to only accept rides from drivers whose cars had the school parking passes on them thinking that these would be safe individuals but remember Edmund used to be a student at that school and his mother still worked there. So he had these stickers. And the names of his four victims after the first two were Aiko Ku, Cindy Shaw, Allison Liu, and Rosalind Thorpe. Mm. Now, during this time, this nine month murder spree, Edmund's mother, Clarnell, continued to be abusive and obnoxious. Remember, at this point, he's a grown man. Yeah. He constantly wanted Edmund's attention, but then would yell, insult, and humiliate him every time they were together. And it all came to a head on April 20th, 1973. That night, this is at the end of Edmund's killing spree. He's killed six women now. And his mother had been out partying and came home late. Edmund was staying with her, and I'm not sure why. I don't know if this was just like for the night or if he had moved back in. But for some reason, Edmund was staying with her that night and was woken up when she came home. They had a brief little exchange, um, and then she went to bed. And once Clarnell was asleep, Edmund snuck into her room. There, he bludgeoned her to death with a claw hammer and slit her throat. He decapitated his own mom and used her head for sex acts. And after that, he used it as a dartboard. Edmund also tried to dispose of some of her body parts in his garbage disposal, uh, or in her garbage disposal, because they were her house, Um, but the garbage disposal couldn't handle it and they shot back out at him. Then, Edmund decided in the wee hours of the morning, it was time to go out for a drink. So he went out and had a couple drinks. 
When he came back home, he realized that he needed to cover up his mother's death because in these types, you know, before he's just been picking up hitchhikers, there's yeah. really no way for people to connect him to those individuals, but this is his own mother. So he need, he knows he needs to cover it up. So what he does is it's now 5.15 in the morning and he calls Clarnell's best friend, Sally Hallett, invites her over. Don't know what he says or how he convinces her, but she comes over to his mother's house and there he strangles her to death. And he said, this one wasn't for fun. All the other murders that he committed, he says he committed for his own pleasure, but this one was out of necessity. So it was quick. It was the only one where he didn't torture or rape any of the victims, besides his grandparents. He didn't do it for them either. But during this nine month spree, it was the only one where he didn't torture or rape her. Like this was all out of necessity for him, he says. Um, and his plan was that he would tell people that the two women had gone away on vacation together. And that's how he would cover up his mother's murder was by killing another woman and then telling everyone that they ran away together. So leaving the bodies in the house, Edmund flees to Colorado. He drives about a thousand miles from his mother's home. And when he arrives, he hears on the news that the bodies of Clarnell and Sally have been discovered in Clarnell's home. At this point, he knows that his crimes are closing in on him, and he decides that the gig is up. It's time to turn himself in. He calls the police back in California and admits to the murders of the two women. But the police didn't believe him. Remember, he knows the police officers. He's been friends with them. He bothers them. They described him as an easy nuisance. Like he knows them, they're like, okay, Edmund, leave us alone, like go away. It takes several phone calls with multiple officers and some of them he personally knows before he's finally taken seriously and arrested. He has to beg the police to arrest him. At trial, Edmund Kemper's attorneys argued insanity, but multiple court psychiatrists found him sane. He confessed to all eight of his murders and was found guilty on every single count. Now in California, at this time, there was a moratorium on the death penalty. So Edmund was sentenced to quote, seven years to life for each count. So at least seven years for every murder, all the way to life. And he was detained in a state mental health facility. Today, Edmund is still alive, he's still in prison, and he's described as a model inmate. He coordinates a lot of the prison's programs, he teaches classes, he, uh, he had um, like jobs in the prison until recently when he was forced to retire from them after a stroke. Um, and he's been denied parole several times, most recently in 2017, but he's eligible again in 2024. That's the story of the co-ed killer. Wow. That's crazy. I wonder, like, when he's in, like, these, like, confined places. So, like, when he was in, like, the mental hospital, like, he was fine. Like, he was, like, a model person there. And, like, he got out, I guess, just being around, like, his mother and, like, always being, like, triggered by certain things, like, causes him to or caused him to like do such horrible things to people yeah. but like like in prison and he's a model inmate so it's like 
it's crazy how, yeah, just like these environments, like you would have never thought that he like was a murderer. I know. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Everyone. I mean, no one that knew him thought that he was, he had yeah. a job working for the state. He was a college student. He was a literal genius. Um, but he had this dark side, which I don't, I'm not justifying anything he did or trying to like sympathize with him in any way. Um, but he, you, you do have to think about how his traumas impacted like his decisions yeah. and there's gotta be some kind of mental health problem there. It is interesting that like in his first arrest, they were like, oh, he's schizophrenic. But then after that, they're like, no, he's not. And then at his second trial, he, they said that he's completely sane. Like, I, I feel like there has to be something there. Because when he's in, um, at both times that he's been incarcerated, he, like I said, he's been a model inmate. And he's actually only been written up one time. His entire in either of his stays, he spent most of his life in prison, right? He's been yeah. only been written up one time. It was really recent. It was like in the 2000s somethings. Um, and it was for not providing a urine sample. But I read in unrelated to this case that like that can happen to older inmates because like you can't always provide a urine sample yeah. on demand when you're older. So like I just yeah, I I don't I feel like there has to be something there mental health wise that's the problem yeah. because he has been so um I don't want to say good because he's a terrible person, yeah. terrible monster, but he's done he's acted so good in prison. Anyway. Yeah. Um Nettie, how do you think that this case impacts how modern women view their own safety? It like validates that we like should be scared like I don't yeah I definitely yeah like I said it validates that we should be scared it validates the point that like we should always keep our guard up and to not trust just anybody um whether or not they say that their intentions are good you really never know that's why like it's super important to ask questions to really get to know people before you start to like, um, let your guard down. And even at that, you really shouldn't let your guard down all the time because you just never know, which also brings me back to like this story, like his fiance, how did she not like pick up on this? Why didn't he like target her? Was he like, I'm just like, can like that part confuses me. I'm like, girl, how did you not like pick up on these cues? Yeah. Yeah. They, um, I don't know if you listen to like crime junkie, which is, I yeah. feel like, yeah, they're like the biggest true crime podcast. And one of their rules that they have is that you never really know anyone, you know, yeah. like that's even if it's your fiance. That's so true. Also, one thing to know is that when Edmund started dating this woman, he was in college and she was in high school. So she may have just been, oh, this older man like wants me. Um, mm. She may have been blinded by. Blinded by love, I guess. 
Girl, I've been there. Um, <laughs> well, Nettie, do you have any final thoughts for us before we go? No, I think that this story was insane. Crazy, crazy story. Um, don't trust stranger- strangers. <laughs> That's all I can say. Yeah. People out here who want to do crazy things and you just never know. Yeah. So true. Well, thank you again, Nettie, for being this week's Crime Pro and giving us all the insights of a woman. Also, thank you to everyone who listened to this week's episode. Really hope that you learned a little something and that you stay safe out there. Join us next week for our season finale and Halloween special. Um, And thanks again for listening. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Crime Pros. Make sure to download this episode and subscribe to the show. If you like our true crime stories, head over to Apple Podcasts and let us know with a five-star review. Crime Pros is hosted by Jace Lucas and is a production of Amped Media. This week's guest is Nettie Smith. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Amped Media Official. See you next week for a new true crime story with a new true crime pro. Oh, 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 oh,